I guess we need to get started. Um, my family tradition is we are always late to everything, and so it's no surprise that we're already 10 minutes late. So I'm just going to read off uh, the names of our presenters. They're going to be talking about pioneering, pioneerism the Delaware way, uh, blockchains first in business collaboration, innovation, and substantive results. I'm going to ask them to self-introduce themselves because they're all, they're really short of time. Uh, Mark Jacobs, Mark Thompson, and Vince Albanese. So, gentlemen, take it away. Okay. So, thank thank you for coming today. We have uh, we the time is short here, so we've got 15 minutes. So we're going to kind of just jump right into it. Leave a lot of the formalities out of the way. So um, I've got the pleasure of being here with uh, with my partners in the sense that they represent work being done in the state of Delaware. Um, so Mark Jacobs is the CIO for the Delaware Health Information Network, first HIE in the country and instrumental in that uh, architecture. Um, Mark Thompson is the executive director of the Medical Society of Delaware and represents independent practicing physicians. So from our perspective, the term pioneerism is appropriate. Um, uh, we're at a conference today that around blockchain and new technologies. Uh, interestingly enough, when I think about the term pioneer in the context of the American framework, it's individuals who need to get out from where they are to move to a better place that is often defined by hope. They embark on a dangerous journey and they only have with them what they have in their hands in order to be able to get there, right? They, don't, they, they can't get to a store to fix it. And in a sense, we're defining that same kind of a role here um, in, in our particular context around work done around prior authorization reform and with the way, particular way that the blockchain interfaces with that. So what I'd like to do is to give a little bit of context here and not from my mouth, um, but from the individuals who live this, um, I'd like to ask uh, Mark Thompson to give a little bit on behalf of the perspective of the physicians inside the state of Delaware, a little bit of context as to why this is a topic. Thanks, Vince. Hi, everyone. Again, I'm Mark Thompson. I'm the executive director at the Medical Society of Delaware. Given that we're short on time, I'll forego my 112-page uh, PowerPoint that I have prepared for everybody. <laughs> so, but uh, seriously, we uh, this is a journey that for the physicians in Delaware uh, goes back at least 10 years. And it, it really goes around that the hassle factor that is prior authorization for physicians and their patients. Um, nearly 10 years ago, we asked the largest payer in the state to provide some sort of data that the, the, their prior authorization requirements demonstrate a true value and demonstrate cost savings and demonstrate uh, the management of appropriate utilization. The payer said, oh, we have that data, we'll get it to you. A few years went by, same conversation happens. Then finally, the, the, their, their answer turned to, oh, we have the data. It's really ugly. You don't want to see it. We're like, let's see it. Because as the world moves toward value-based contracts, as we need to make sure physicians are educated, as we're trying to do the right thing by, by patients, we actually want to see that really ugly data. A few more years went by. Same question. This time, we didn't ask the payers for the data. We went to the state legislature and we got a bill passed that said that the payers must report data into the state HIE, into the DIN, or all around their prior authorization. 
and to so that we could begin to peel that onion back and to see if the process really provides value or not. So um, Mark Jacobs will talk a little bit more about the data component that's going into the DIN. But also that bill was, that legislation was also instrumental because we also added a component to remove retroactive denials on payments to not only the physicians, but the state, what that meant to the patients who were not getting, then getting hit with a large bill after the fact. The other thing is it provided a time window that the payers had to respond back to, to the physician's offices for if it was gonna be approved or not. Again, making sure that the patient was getting the right level of care in the right environment at the right time. So that was critical. Because again, the physicians, as you know, the amount of time that's wasted for them, their, administ their administrative support staff, some of them will employ nurses, PAs, and they're constantly on the phone with payers. This delays care, it's highly inefficient, and so we also, um, what ends up happening in many cases, we all probably, I'm sure if I ask for a sign of show of hands, how many people here have some sort of experience, even personally with, as a patient, dealing with prior authorization? I mean, you know, I can tell one with my, with my daughter, my 13-year-old daughter, pediatrician, wanted her to have an abdominal uh, CT. Go to the payer, 24 hours go by, no response. 48 hours, guess what, no response. Now we're pushing on the weekend. And our pediatrician is very responsible, operates very much in the PCMH model, has extended hours, but now we're deep into the weekend. My daughter's in excruciating pain. Pediatrician says, go to the emergency room. We do. Fortunately, we have a phenomenal pediatric hospital in Delaware. So guess what tests the attending in the uh, in emergency room orders? That abdominal CT. Guess what gets approved? Now it's in the most inexpensive or the most expensive, most inappropriate location for her given the setting. Fortunately, everything for her turned out to be fine. But we know of cases where sometimes it's not. And in 24 to 48 hours people can turn quickly and become train wrecks unnecessarily. So this is an initiative in Delaware that we're not just satisfied with the current piece of legislation that we've passed. Um, we're gonna dig deeper into the, the data reporting. Um, but this is the right thing to do for the patients, for the physicians who are facing burnout at unprecedented levels. And this is one of the key contributing factors. And when the physicians are doing you know, nationally, when the AMA has done research into this, nationally, approximately 92% of those requests for prior authorization were ultimately getting approved. Physicians are obviously doing something right. So, we, Delaware is a state that has a blockchain initiative. And hence, this is how we were able to meet Vince Albanese and uh, through, through his organization with Haven Health and Mark Jacobs through the DIN is that ultimately we believe we actually now have, have a solution to this problem that is prioritization. So one of the uh, leveraging that success, we call Delaware a living laboratory for healthcare reform. So the small size of the state, it isn't Texas or Florida, but you can literally walk across the street and, the street and talk to all the stakeholders in, in the state. 
So it's a unique place to design experiments and get something done. The interesting thing is that the model that we've outlined here, the first stakeholder is the medical society that has now moved to a Midwest alliance of of medical societies that includes West Virginia, um, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Washington, DC. And next week we're meeting in the Midwest with another 10 states. So Mark's work and the message here is spreading across the country to practicing physicians who want to take control of their future in a different way. Yeah, or, or really our perspective is it's time, it's time for it to be truly physician-led again and allow the physicians to practice medicine. And we are, our, our philosophy is we're going to invert the paradigm. And we, we, re, we recognize that prior authorization is necessary, but not the antiquated, administrative, cumbersome process that exists today. So the second part of, of the what we believe is the formula for sustainable success has to do with getting access to the data itself, right? So Mark leads the first HIE in the country. He's been a, a leader in that whole effort and has been a shining star in, in reforming and transforming, which is what HIEs need to do themselves. So maybe a little bit, Mark, about what Dan has done sure, under sure. your leadership. So a little point of clarification. So uh, we're the first state, we take credit for being the first statewide HIE uh, that were established in Delaware. Uh, Just take through, the compliment. Through, yeah, thank you. <laughs> well, I, I, we don't want to take David Brayler, who's done uh, Santa Barbara experience, but, uh, but one of the challenges that we had historically, so if you've seen one HIE, you typically have seen one HIE. That's been the old adage. So 10 years ago, we were on a, a model where we would buy an application and we have an application to deliver two basic components, uh, results and building an electronic health record that would actually be queryable. And that worked very well until we started to look within our organization and where healthcare was going and where the standards were going. And we believed that we couldn't do it alone with that particular vendor. And a lot of the vendors really didn't exist. So uh, we leveraged Gardner to help us with our strategic plan. And we basically walked away with a couple of things. Number one, we had to embrace more of the standards. We had to build more of a open model. Uh, to support things and we had to pay attention to technologies like blockchain which we're doing today um, unbeknownst to us you know on the other hand with Gardner you know they they talked about blockchain where it was and it wasn't ready for prime time but we're, we're forcing we're forcing the window over in time so today in Delaware uh, in Delaware if we all the providers participate in Delaware Health Information Exchange. And they participate by giving us a data and in return they get value back for the data that we had. And that's anywhere from uh, providers who have an EMR, we, we connect into 23 of the top EMRs uh, across the country and more. Uh, we, have, we connect into accountable care organizations, we connect into, we have a big uh, um, uh, program with one of our largest hospitals, they have a high uh, risk uh, contract with a number of payers and it, it became very evident really really fast that if we're going to survive in the future and we're going to take things further including prior authorization is how are we going to embrace the standards when the industry wasn't there so we have um, designed built an open platform 
our open platform today for all our data, including claims, clinical data, uh, care summaries, uh, exists in, in the Amazon.gov cloud. So you're familiar with Amazon, uh, AWS, uh, the AWS platform, but we have it in a more secure um, platform today. And what that does for prior authorization and delivery is now we can be able to apply standards, fire standards, um, APIs, standard APIs, and we are doing that today. So basically, our platform is just an un, uh, infrastructure umbrella that we could pull and have these transactions going back and forth. And we're proving that today with a number of key applications that we have invested. Now let's fast forward to the prior authorization issue. People are familiar with uh, where things are going with DaVinci. Uh, you're familiar with that? And so our platform is uniquely designed for that and it's expandable to whatever level we would like to take it. And so today uh, we're supporting a community health record out of that. We're, we're supporting alerts. Uh, we're supporting uh, all pair claims databases, which we're feeding claims data into that uh, and reporting. What we are moving towards is supporting the full breadth of, of uh, prior authorization. And that includes uh, benefit determination and uh, referral data, uh, being able to query that and feed that back to the health plans. So if you think of DIN in the middle now, it's a open platform, open discovery platform. The, the APIs are the wrapper. So if we look at the wrapper model, I think John Lomka talked a little bit about that this morning. Uh, we have that platform ex in, in existence and we could easily create these uh, APIs that work with anyone. And as we know, some of the health plans are, we still have some legacy infrastructure in the health plans. I worked with the health plans as, a, as an EVP auditor for years, so I'm familiar with who has what. And so if we look towards the future and what we could support, we're, we're heading in a direction that we are taking on prior authorization. Delaware doesn't want to legislate it, but it looks, it looks, the direction looks like across the country that the focus is upon legislation. We are already doing the reporting for prior authorization and we're seeing that on average, 80% of the prior authorizations are approved within 24 to 40 hours. Now, let me ask you a question. If they, could be if they could be approved within 24 to 48 hours and we have the connection to the EMRs and we have the linkages into the health plan, why can't prior authorizations be approved within less than five minutes? We, so. So back to the distributed ledger or the blockchain then. So our model for the utilization of it starts with what Mark was alluding to earlier in that in uh, and, and our way of looking at it, unless there's a market to be created, it really might not have the right tool. So we're looking for producers and consumers of data, which is what Mark is describing. And the blockchain will allow us to be able to have rewards or penalties for the use of that data. That's one key element. The second is that when we've got parties with very, very low levels of trust like exist inside of this particular problem, the ability to establish rules is really important. So doing this through consortium is critical. So for us, relationships with, he had mentioned DaVinci and uh, HL7, uh, Direct Trust in particular is a critical partner for us. Um, 
and uh, the, um, as a matter of fact, the company that is providing their health records is, is part of the direct trust relationship. So we're bounding those things together and, um, and then turned it into a transactional model. So one of the things that we have wrappers over a blockchain and what those wrappers allow us to do is be able to just get the data we need to, to answer one transactional question. So it isn't a matter of pointing all, a lot of the tr distrust comes from the fact that data will, can be used against me. So in our case, in our model for prior authorization reform, you only get what you need to satisfy medical necessity, and then the transaction is done. The other piece, if I can add to that, so again, from the physician standpoint, and Vince touched on something that was very important. The way that it would be set up for the physicians, it would never, it's never designed to pit physician against physician. It's designed to be an educational tool for a physician. So if for whatever reason they're not hitting a certain threshold on their, their uh, pre-authorizations, if there's some questions about them ordering an inordinate number of tests that may be considered inappropriate, the idea is that this can be used as an educational tool, specifically, again, as it relates to value-based contracts, so that rather than waiting on data that's no longer timely from the payer, you can get real-time data to determine anything you can affect to better affect your, your practice patterns on behalf of your patients. Yeah, one of the, one of the one, and more common, one of the things that I think you have to recognize that what we're doing here, you may ask why blockchain? And so our infrastructure has data and there's all kinds of governing rules for privacy. And what the blockchain allows us to do is be able to create those wrappers inside blockchain. Uh, there's no data in there. This is the trail on linkages out to the data, which we have, or we could, we could develop partnerships. So the two components of an open platform plus with the blockchain, it creates a perfect marriage for trust. And, and obviously you have, uh, you have trust records where everybody can view what, uh, what the data, what the transactions are. So we break that down into three fundamental components, what we call IPA, so it's identity, it's privacy, and then the acquisition of data. So fundamentally that allows us to be able to establish both provider and patient identity issues to handle things like standard HIPAA releases. We're using, uh, I believe we're the first to use the direct trust public key infrastructure and certificate authorities uh, in order to be able to handle encryption. So all that piece of that comes together, the trust through identity framework they've built. And then on the acquisition side, fundamentally the blockchain's role here is a record locator service that sits over the top. Data is safest where it is. Somebody had a question. Florence? Yes, this sounds great. Uh, so I'm Florence Hudson, and I'm on the board for blockchain healthcare safety, and a bunch of blockchain stuff. Um, so which payers do you have in mind? working with any of the blues? Din, uh, Delaware Health Information Network has been working historically with with the Blues. We've been working with uh, others. We've been working in the past with United. Uh, you know, the, the biggest challenge is you know working with them and and working in terms of developing that whatever those agreements are between providers and payers. Uh, we have the perfect platform because we don't we don't need to worry about that when when those partnerships come together and we could sit down and. At the table together, and as soon as they find out what we have and the collaboration we have in Delaware, you get physicians, hospitals, and providers, and the health information exchange to the table. And we're trying to set examples of that and create uh, 
use case uh, use cases or user stories around that to de determine the success. Yes. And, and another real quick, another piece of that, that too is we have an insurance commissioner in our state who is highly supportive of this endeavor. So who will also help to any other insurance uh, plans who to, to get them uh, in, integrated into the process, if you will. So. Just one, if I can just add an adder, then she has to go. But um, uh, so are you using leveraging any artificial intelligence or cognitive computing either at the payer side or somewhere? Because when you pull you know, artificial intelligence and blockchain together, you can make sure you're using predictive analytics or historical analytics, whatever that it is, so that the transaction is the correct one. So within the past, within, within the next six weeks, big milestones for us, we'll have addressed all 50 medical societies, all states, all 50 states. With by before the end of November. In parallel with that, I'm meeting with executives at Florida Blue, Highmark, Humana, excuse me, um, um, Optum, um, Centene, Wellcare. They're all lined up. They're spending a fortune on that side of this. Okay. Our role is to call their APIs to get something done. Yeah. But we do not want to replace or do anything that they've done. And you know, there's the variations in the APIs too. So one of the strategies we're working on, and Vince could talk about that a little bit, is uh, we believe what's needed in the industry is this concept of a living library. And the living library concept is a concept that we wrote a white paper and we vetted it with Pew and others and HIEs now. The problem is now we have to move to that evolution. But your point about analytics, and uh, we have not evolved to artificial intelligence. We've evolved to analytics and natural language processing. So we are doing some of that stuff. We're taking the data and, and uh, using terminology service so we make sure the data matches and we, we could be able to tie that because data you take from the provider doesn't always tack its way back to the health plan, as you know, and the coding is, is different, so. I think, uh, congratulations, this is great. Uh, it is pioneering, actually. I see that when it's the patient provider and the payer, critical three components, and you talked about IPA, I would add another I, which is integration and interoperability, because you're gonna get to a point where you have to integrate the data and do data hygiene so that the data you're receiving from the patient or the payer, the payer or the provider makes sense, it's all connected. So who is paying for before you know it, your platform and tools and technology. Well, when you build, well, when you build it, uh, I, don't, I hate to use this analogy, the, the dollars sort of take care of themselves. But let me make a point here in terms of getting patient-contributed data. Right now in Delaware, we we provide a uh, personal health record that's tied to this platform, and we also tie that into. They don't. The providers don't have to use our portals. They could take data and tie it into theirs. We have an initiative right now with a company, uh, I don't, Danny O'Diary, for, for epileptic patients to be able to record their events. That's riddled with all kinds of privacy issues that we're leveraging the blockchain, uh, leveraging uh, patient identity, leveraging a platform that we're protecting the data all the time on be in behalf of the patient and the provider. 
uh, with that key point in mind is very, very paramount in what we do. But not anymore. In the beginning, it was. So state contributes very little. Uh, believe it or not, who pays is the, the providers that get value. The hospitals pay, the health plans pay, because they're getting value. So just one other comment on interoperability. That everybody's working on interoperability. And I'm avoiding the term only because I don't want to step on HL7's effort with fire. I don't want to step on what the HIEs are doing, right? We're assuming we're going to leverage the work of giants. The blockchain does one very simple thing, a record locator identity, and we're trying to make sure that we stay focused and in a niche. We are, we've been, we're, we started late and uh, there's someone following us, so I don't want to abuse our time here. Um, any other, uh, back to you. Any other quick questions? Maybe we can catch them off to the side, but uh, excellent work being done in Delaware. So thank you so much, gentlemen. Thank you very much.